Welcome to Scoliosis World with Dr. Morningstar, the audio podcast for all things scoliosis. And now, Chief Science Officer for ScoliSmart and Clinic Director for ScoliSmart Clinics Michigan, Dr. Mark Morningstar. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Morningstar, Chief Science Officer for ScoliSmart, and uh, coming at you with another episode here of Scoliosis World. And of course, as you can see, I'm in my Christmas sweater. Uh, obviously, it's Christmas week here, and uh, I hope all of you have a great Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah. And uh, this week, we're going to talk to, or we're going to talk about neurotransmitter testing. And um, neurotransmitter testing is really one of the kind of initial pathways or rabbit holes down which we started investigating some of the other non-spinal contributions to the development or uh, continued progression of scoliosis. And I'm going to review a couple of the studies that we ourselves published as to to kind of give you a window into our line of thinking and uh, and then give you some recommendations on how we go about this testing process uh, should you be interested in getting yourself or your child tested. So most people, and I say this all the time, sometimes I feel like I sound a bro- like a broken record, but the if I were to go out into my local community here into Grand Blanc and ask 100 people what scoliosis is, of course they're typically going to tell me that what they see on the x-ray that we all recognize as the spinal curvature is the entire aspect of the problem. And of course, as a result of that, the problem gets treated very orthopedically. Uh, if it gets bad enough, there's a brace. Um, if it continues to get worse, even despite bracing, uh, then surgery is recommended. And so the problem with both of those treatment interventions is that nothing ever gets done about some of the other underlying contributions as to why that curvature started in the first place. And we know for a fact, because it's all over the scientific literature, that there are a number of other distinct differences in kids who develop scoliosis versus kids who don't. For example, just some of the easy things off the top of my head, there are differences in bone density, There are differences in neurotransmitter status, as we're going to discuss. There are differences in certain hormone ratios. There are differences in certain micronutrient deficiencies like vitamin D, selenium, manganese. Um, There are differences in some of the normal postural reflex control mechanisms, such as the the eye muscles, as well as the inner ear. And so... Um, if we know all of these other things are also um, abnormal or, or not working correctly in children who develop a curve, well, obviously it seems like it would make sense that you would want to treat those things also, especially if some of those other underlying things are going to prevent whatever physical treatment that person is doing from do- allowing it to work like it should or could. So that was really kind of an our at ScoliSmart, our initial foray into this aspect of scoliosis. And a number of years ago, I first presented this neurotransmitter information at uh, SOSORT. And um, although the idea of serotonin and melatonin had been studied for a while, um, nobody ever really looked at uh, a grouping of neurotransmitters. For example, it's not just serotonin we're looking at. You know, we're looking at norepinephrine, we're looking at histamine, we're looking at glutamate. So there are specific neurotransmitters that have a number of postural control 
uh, functions or they oversee various postural control functions that obviously if those neurotransmitters are not at their right levels or they're not normal in normal amounts relative to one another, well, it only makes sense that uh, that postural control mechanism is going to suffer to some degree. So in a couple of the studies here, so after we first presented this information, this is going back to 2010, 2012, um, it was one thing to say, is there, um, it's one thing to say that there's a problem or that there's a difference in children who have scoliosis. It's quite another thing to say, why is it necessary to treat it? You know, there are times when, you know, the reality is people have the right to have more than one thing wrong with them. And those things aren't necessarily connected. And so we set about trying to figure out how these abnormal neurotransmitter levels might be affected to scoliosis. So back in 2014, what we did is we took a number of kids who went through our ScoliSmart boot camp. And we divided the group of kids who had completed the initial boot camp into two groups. One of the groups had had neurotransmitter testing done and followed the recommendations that were given based on those test results. The other group also had the neurotransmitter testing done, but for whatever reason, maybe they, they didn't have the money to do the treatment, maybe uh, they didn't, you know, maybe the child just didn't want to do the treatment, whatever the case may have been, the second group did not do the recommendations. Well, interestingly, when both groups came back for their first checkup after boot camp was completed. What we found was that in the group that had followed the recommendations, not only did the group as a whole maintain their boot camp curve improvements, but a minority of them actually were able to keep building on those improvements. And six months later, they were better than where they were compared to when they left boot camp. When we contrasted that to the group that didn't take the recommendations, although the majority were able to keep their curve measurements from boot camp or on the last day of boot camp, what we found is that where there was a, a significant chunk of them that their curves had started to regress back to their baseline values. So to us, that was sort of the proof in the pudding in the sense that you know, if I have a child or a family, which is really most of the time both, that is going to make not only the financial commitment, but just the, the commitment in terms of effort, doing the exercises twice a day, every day, you know, doing everything that we ask of them, obviously we want to give that boot camp treatment, that physical treatment, the best chance to do what it's supposed to do. And if there's something underneath that curve, like normal or neurotransmitter disruptions or neurohormone disruptions, we want to minimize the impact of those neurotransmitter problems on the ability of the physical exercises to do what they're supposed to do. So, I mean, quite honestly, it really started out as, look, we, we need to hedge our bets. If there's anything underneath that, this curve that might sabotage the physical treatment from having the effect that it can and should, we need to eliminate it. And so that's what we do. And so sort of as a follow-up to that, you know, that was kind of the proof to us that we have to investigate the neurotransmitter aspect of scoliosis. Over time, 
that has sort of evolved. And we know now that the, a number of these uh, neurotransmitter disruptions have a genetic variation driving them underneath. And that's significant because you can have a situation where a neurotransmitter could be low, for example. Let's take serotonin. It might be low because you don't have the raw materials available from which to make serotonin. For example, serotonin gets directly made from an amino acid called 5-HTP. If you don't have enough 5-HTP available, can't make serotonin. But there's also an enzyme required to convert 5-HTP into serotonin. And one of the B vitamins responsible for that process is vitamin B6, as an example. Well, interestingly, it's sort of like if I have low serotonin, I could only have low serotonin essentially for two reasons. Either I don't have 5-HTP, or I don't have enough B6, or I don't have enough of either one, or both of them. And the analogy I was using in the scenario is, is if I'm building a house... I need lumber to build that house, but I also need a construction worker or a whole bunch of construction workers to build that house. If I'm missing either one of them, my house doesn't get built. So in this case, what the genetic testing has allowed us to do when, when it's combined with neurotransmitter testing in most instances is that it allows us to make sure that we have identified the correct source of that serotonin deficiency, whether it be not enough construction workers, not enough lumber, or both. Um, to take that a step further, what we also started doing in 2015, 2016, is then to say, okay, is there a way to use the neurotransmitter test to sort of predict what somebody's outcome might be right out of the gate? So for example, we started looking at kids' um, uh, neurotransmitter tests, and we compared a group of people who had scoliosis and what their neurotransmitter levels were to a group of people who were being seen in our integrative medicine clinic, not by me, but by our medical director, Dr. Strachman, and they did not have scoliosis. And so what we found is that uh, there was a very distinct difference in not only the people who had scoliosis, but the people who didn't. But interestingly, there was a distinct difference in people who had scoliosis whose curves were below 50 degrees and whose curves were above 50 degrees. Very interestingly. And what we found, let me pull up the graph here. Um, but what we found is that when we looked at just those two groups, of the, or I should say the subcategory of scoliosis patients who were below and above 50 degrees, what we found is that in the patients who had um, curvatures above 50 degrees, their serotonin average was somewhere around 125 to 130. In patients who didn't have scoliosis, or I'm sorry, that they're, they're, they had curves below 50 degrees, their serotonin level was about 160 to 170. Compared to people who did not have scoliosis, their average serotonin was about 190. 
So very distinct different ranges depending on the severity of their curve. We saw the same thing with histamine. 20 in progressive scoliosis, 30 in non-progressive scoliosis, 40 in not scoliosis. Um, we also found a similar problem with norepinephrine. Again, distinct difference in the progressive above 50 scoliosis cases, the non-progressive below 50 scoliosis cases, and those without scoliosis altogether. So um, very distinct differences between all three. And what I like about this is this, is a, this allows us to get into a situation where in over the course of time, we can use this type of testing to even predict what is the chance that a child is going to require surgery assuming they don't do anything. Because again, if we know that these variables are linked, like this neurotransmitter test to scoliosis, a child could do any physical treatment. They could do a brace, they could do Schroth, they could do ScoliSmart, but they still have to fix this neurotransmitter disruption. If we're showing, and if we're truly demonstrating, like this study showed, that differences in neurotransmitters may predict whether or not a scoliosis reaches the point at which surgery is the option. And so to me, this is a nice predictive test for families to do when they're sort of on that uh, kind of embarking on that scoliosis journey where a curvature maybe is first discovered or, you know, a pediatrician first discovers it during a well child check, uh, something like that where, um, maybe the curve is only 15, 20 degrees. So it's a mild curve at that point, but if we, they have these neurotransmitter patterns that might suggest the curve reaches 50 degrees, then to us, it would be important to start to intervene, at least in this capacity, pretty much on an immediate basis. So neurotransmitter testing, it, it was really kind of the hallmark, kind of where all of the non-scoliosis or non-curvature aspects of scoliosis really start to kick off for us. And we have uh, added and uh, have really delved into this information in, in very thorough detail. And we continue to. And, and the idea is the goal is in time. And I know I say this, I've, and I've said this on previous podcasts, but the, the goal ultimately is going to be, and, and I think time will prove this, that it will be easier for us to prevent scoliosis from happening then it will be to try to fix it and bring it down, no matter what curvature degree it is. And so the only way to prevent it from happening is to investigate these particular metabolic pathways, whether they be neurotransmitter, hormonal, genetic combinations of those, to make sure that that child has all of the normal physiology in place so that they don't develop a progressive curve and end up not requiring surgery. So, um, with that, that's really kind of the short and sweet one here for Christmas. Um, I hope all of you have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. I mean, 2021, I don't think it could possibly be any worse than 2020, to be honest. But uh, I know it's hit everybody hard. But I hope all of you are safe and healthy and happy. Uh, look out for Scully Smart here in 2021 because we have a lot of things that we're going to be rolling out here just in the first part of 2021, uh, including different uh, supplement formulations that we uh, have that are unique to Scully Smart, uh, a formulation I created myself that I'm really excited to roll out here in the next few weeks. Um, we have advancements in our scoliosis activity suit. Um, we even have a, uh, a study on the horizon uh, to publish the, uh, 
the first prospective genetics trial to kind of show that we can unequivocally predict and prevent scoliosis from happening. Um, so, so it's an exciting time, especially in the scoliosis arena. When you look at scoliosis the way we do, uh, we sort of live it and breathe it every single day. So um, it's, it's just not a, a job for us. It's something that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't stop talking about scoliosis when we leave our clinics. So um, have a happy 21, 2021 to everybody out there. And uh, keep following us uh, right here, Scoliosis World. Uh, you'll also be able to follow us on the Scoliosis Warriors group on Facebook. Uh, you can also follow us on our Scully Smart YouTube channel, where these videos will also be uploaded. There is also an audio podcast version of this podcast, so if you don't uh, want to watch it on YouTube, you can always subscribe to it and uh, listen to it in your car on, or on your mobile device. So, again, Dr. Morningstar signing off for the year 2020. Uh, have a happy new year, everybody, and I'll talk to you soon.